You're ready to be premature wow, all over again. <laughs> wow, that's, that's impressive. Quick, quick reset. Yeah. Quick reset. Last night was Ramos Jizz. A Jizz. Who knew the job was pro bono? I was so high that um, I shit myself at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, get still here. Somebody, somebody, everybody mute. Goddamn, you can. <laughs> My SEAL Team 6 with the SEAL Team 12. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with punching above your weight. I thought you'd get better. Well, I don't know what's worse. You're a ginger or you've been vaccinated. You sit around and drink and solve the world's problems, right? Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are here once again. Season three is off to a rocking start. We are fortunate enough today. Uh, you know him. You love him. We've had him as a guest on the show before, and he is the first guest of season three. We are happy to have him back. It is none other than Jay Swizzle, the rap Mac daddy who joined us for our 100th episode and laid down some sick beats in case you missed it. Please check it out. Um, Jason, thank you so much for joining us. I'm looking forward to this one. See what we have to talk about. Uh, how is everybody doing? Good. Hey, thanks for having me. Doing well. All right, man. Uh, again, as I said, you are the first guest of season three, so you take that for what it's worth. Good, bad, or indifferent. We are happier here, though. I mean, we're thrilled about it. Absolutely. We take it as great. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, second guess this. You can only go okay. up from here. <laughs> <laughs> Your words. You know, that's right. On our 100th episode, there was a guest that preceded you, and we thought we could uh, not go up from that guest, and then you proved us wrong. Uh, when you came out with your rap. So uh, I, I don't imagine we are going up from here. Maybe lateral. We'll move yeah, laterally. I, That's about it. Uh, when we were <clears throat> driving driving up to uh, Raleigh this week in the car, the missus, one of the, one of the kiddos is with me. We get to the rap. The missus was just, she, she just kept shaking her head laughing. <laughs> How could you not? Yeah. And then we get to the part where I, I was like, I had to keep going. <laughs> like, like, he's going to be done soon. And then, yeah, then I soon. said, I was keeping it together until I saw you wiping your eyes with your shirt. <laughs> yes. I was just like, Jesus Christ. Um, all right. So obviously we don't want to waste any time, Jason. We want to be respectful of your time. Thank you for being here. Um, Obviously, the first thing we do, season three is no different, as we do our drinks. So as the guest on the show, we're going to let you go first. What did you bring to a Spirited Debate season three, sir? Well, it's been a, a, a pretty crazy month with the uh, one-year anniversary of uh, us getting out of Afghanistan. So I'm at the bottom of my scotches. This is a blend of uh, Monkey Shoulder and Glenn Fittich 14. So uh, Highland-ish. <laughs> Wait, so it's monkey shoulder. Is that a, what is that, a gin? No. Uh, no that's a scotch. Kind of, Bullshit scotch. I don't know. I've heard it before, regions. but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So. Okay. <laughs> so you're just blending scotch on Why ice. Not? And that, that's all you, you got? I think what you were ice. thinking of is like 47 monkeys. Monkey 47. Monkey 47. Oh, okay. I knew there's yeah. a monkey in there somewhere. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah. Look, we've been through almost uh, like close to 500 drinks on this show. It's tough to keep them straight and all the different spirits. So I apologize. So it's a blend of scotch just on the rocks. That's it. I always, I throw a little water in there too. I was reading uh, an old Hemingway article the other day and they were talking about how uh, you should always drop some ice cubes in your red wine because it's better cool. Not like the faux uh, American wine snobs who mm -hmm. don't know that. Europeans just throw ice in it because it's better. There you go. Uh, it's also because they don't have up. AC over there in Europe. So they <laughs> have right. ice in everything. That may or may not be true. 
speaking of our European contingency, Haas, what did you bring to, to episode three? Man, I, I can't find any more of this anywhere here, but I've been craving the shit out of it, especially it's, it's getting cooler over here, uh, mainly because of the weather, the storms, the bad storms we're having. So it starts to feel like fall. Uh, and with college football upon us, I, I had to I had to break out the Don Papa, and uh, yeah, I'm just drinking drinking some Don Papa with uh, with one big cube in it. Summertime is your gen time, and you're you're moving mm. away from that already. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, after I sat in the beer garden and had four gin and tonics earlier, but yeah, sure. <laughs> time for a change of pace. There you go. Uh, got ice in it, right? One cube. One, one cube. cube. One big one fat cube. cube. All one right. big fat cube there we go uh it's, it's all right. crushed ice no oh, is it is it mac crushed ice or is it truly crushed ice the slushy uh all right mac since we pivoted for you today brother what did you bring as your drink today yeah so um we're struggling trying to figure out what to make today so as i mentioned i was watching the uh the documentary on netflix uh the girlfriend that doesn't exist uh the story of manti teo um which was very interesting. Uh, I'd kind of forgotten a lot of the stuff that had happened there, but that guy was an idiot if he truly fell for that. Um, but as we all know, he went to Notre Dame, uh, obviously from Hawaii. So I made a blue Hawaiian um, using the, you know, one of my mixers and the Appleton estate rum, um, you know, a shot of each and just kind of stir it up over ice. And uh, I'd show you, but it's in a Yeti cup. So you won't actually be able to see it, but it is so blue. It's, so it's water. Got it. Um, so you made a drink based on an individual that no one can trust. Was that really the best approach here? Inspired by. Inspired. I'm just saying that doesn't matter. I mean, that that's kind of a shit show in a cup right there. That's what you should have called it. That would not have tasted very good though. Yeah. Or, uh, or as Jason alluded to, you could call it the catfish. Oh, uh, there, you nice. go. there you go. All right. Grinch, uh, Obviously not last, certainly not least, but what are you drinking today? I am drinking. I'm going to hold it up because, you know, the Owens craft mixers, this one is ginger beer and lime. Ooh. Again, making my life easier and easier. And then I added the Leyenda del Milagro tequila reposado. Oh, so, it's, so it's you, just, I mean, it's a one to three ratio and boom, got a drink. So you macked it up. You used a pre-mix. Mm -hmm. Okay. There you go. I, I, you know where I stand on this, the easier, the better. I'm just saying in season three, you have seemed to have gotten easier and easier. I think you did a beer. Oh, I'm on a downward did like slope. like a crown sure. pre-made. For sure. It's He's like, an empty nester now. He's just giving up. He's like, <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's like... <laughs> I thought yeah. you were more middle down the middle of the road kind you of know, this and uh, yes, really we, leaning towards the Mac about era this. of drinking. The it, beginning of the week, I have high aspirations for I'm going to come up with something. And as we near and I it's realize I still haven't done anything <laughs> yeah. to acquire the ingredients. Look, he's I, an empty. All, all I know is, is I guarantee you, if he stood up right now, we wouldn't want to see what he's wearing. On the I was going to say he's an empty nester, which means <laughs> from the waist down, he's naked. Uh, he's uh, he's Pooh Bear. He, he, had the, <laughs> he had the misfortune of being online with me last night, listening yeah. to my family in the fucking background, just yammer on. And it's like, oh, I must felt be like nice. I was part of the conversation. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in his house, it's dead fucking quiet. I'm like, that must be nice. You can't even concentrate. Uh, all right. There you go. Easy. You want it easy peasy. You got it. It's a mixer and it's some mm -hmm. what, vodka. No, it's tequila. Reposado tequila. tequila. And what's the brand? Mandingo. Leyenda. Leyenda, I was close. Mandingo, Leyenda, 
Grosse Schwanz. There you go. Sounds <laughs> like tequila. It's a German tequila. <laughs> just, just <Yeah>. like it. <laughs> All right. Well, then I will close this out. I, of course, because we have a guest, first guest of season three, I wanted to do a drink related to our topic. So this one is called Faith's Income Tax. And it is bourbon. I wanted to go with something bourbon related. So I went with Eagle Rare Bourbon. It's three ounces of that. It is one ounce of sweet vermouth two dashes of bitters and three ounces of freshly squeezed orange juice. You put it over ice in a shaker, shake it up. And then it's supposed to go in a martini glass, but I just poured it. It, it looks like dirty good. orange juice um, over one I, large ice cube in this cup. So it's called faith's income tax. I'm love how you sure. keep, I love how you're poking that ice. The ice. Yeah. Like, you're, <laughs> like you're trying to get, you know, like, like you're testing the butthole, you know, to see if you can see, like see, a if, entry, see if entry is going to be possible. You know, is entry going to be possible? Let's, let's see. Let's see how relaxed it is. As you see, Jason, Why nothing's not, changed from season about. two to season needs, three. She needs one more drink. I got to make her one I think more you drink. you got to wrap up. Uh, you get your app nickname out of that. You're uh-huh. the dirty OJ. <laughs> like I said, every time go. this is bullshit, and then Haas busts out something like that, and you're like, no, nope, that's, right. that's all true. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Haas Nest Monsters all lies. <laughs> Clearly. All right. Well, I mean, before... is, she's just over there, just, you know. Yeah, I am. I can't, oh. what? It's, I can't help it. Yeah, look, just, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it's. <laughs> well, right, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> there you go. The temperature and, tonight is going to be we... great. And, and, and I was the one earlier this week worried about being professional. Uh-huh. And that uh-huh. ship has sailed. We're good. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm trying to fight theories to go test in the dolphin hole. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, the reaction in the off. room. Yes. All right. So oh, as always, gentlemen, I, I cheers. Oh. Cheers to you, Jason. Thank you. Cheers I, to you. Cheers. Yeah, Jason, right. always a pleasure, man. I mean, what a setup for this pivot we're about to make yes. here. <laughs> so hopefully you have gone and listened to the hundredth episode that we closed out season two with, where we had Jason on. He was the second guest of the show. And we gave you all a little teaser. Uh, he did, thankfully, about uh, an article that he wrote and then the possibility of him coming back. And obviously once we heard that, we set it up, our people met with his people and we got him on the show rapidly because we thought, let's go ahead and talk about this. And uh, so it, it was an article, Jason, if I'm not mistaken, that you wrote, and I won't speak in terms of where it was or was not published that I don't know, but the name of the article was why the world's religions are dying a slow death. Now, I will let you elaborate in terms of the article and its content, where it was or was not published, and why you wrote this piece before we dive into tearing it apart, attacking you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, And then debate potentially what you spoke about in your article. So I open the floor to you. Awesome. So, So that was an article about five years in the making. I tried to publish it over the last couple of years in numerous outlets. And everybody told me, nobody cares about religion. Nobody wants to talk about it. I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, this is just the, the first response from the editors and publishers. And then uh, I brought it to the National Interest, uh, who has a, quite a variety. They're, they're not afraid to bring in a variety of opinions on one topic. So, they, I mean, they saw it and they were like, this is perfect. This fits. So they ran it uh, this month with, with hardly any editing at all, uh, which was, was good to see. Although, I mean, I've rewritten it for three years trying to get it somewhere. So it's been edited a few times. Uh, but yeah, I really just wanted to, to get into the discussion of what I've heard as I've wandered around America and I've talked to people about religion around the world through my podcasts. 
you know, that there are so many extreme voices inside of religion. And I was really pushing towards the extreme conservative voices in that article. Um, and that they drive people away from religion. You know, the more you want to get into other people's lives and their bedrooms and their, you know, their marriages and their work, you're just, you're pushing people away from what you people probably want to come to religion for. Uh, but one thing someone brought up, that I, I hope we hit today is there's also the extreme voices. I, I shared that article with a lot of people and a lot of, uh, you know, more conservative people came back and said, you know, there's also extreme voices on the woke side of things today that are trying to turn religion into everything, you know, they've got to get involved in everything that has nothing to do with religion. And so they're kind of steering people away from how do you get to heaven and getting into all these other side projects that have nothing to do with, uh, with religion either. So I, and I think that's a really good point. And I didn't really touch on it in my article, but I was really aimed at the ones who I think are doing the most damage, but I, I don't know. I mean, if both are driving people away from religion, then they're both damaging generally all extremes are damaging to an idea. And I think that's one that uh, you can definitely say is hurting religion today. Jason, could you remind everybody um, of your background, especially as it pertains to religion as, as a, as you, you, you being an expert, expert knowledge and a subject matter. Yeah. Knowledge expert on it. Yeah. So why is an ex soldier running around talking about religion to people? I uh, was raised Baptist in new England and then I moved to the South and went into Baptist churches. And those are two completely different churches inside one church. Uh, so that gave me kind of an insight into the fact that there are, you know, there are a lot of sects inside religions and differing opinions and how you do it. I started studying world religion in like middle school because my mom was a nurse in nursing school and she had a book on world religion. You got to know what to do when someone's passing. So, you know, nurses have to be aware of some of these basics. And I thought about it all my life. I really stayed in touch with it as I started working in the Middle East with Muslim, uh, with Muslims and in Muslim majority countries. I really started studying Islam a lot. And then when I retired from the army, the country was really polarized around the issue of Islam and Muslim cultures. You know, everybody was just, you know, all over the place and using it as a as a hammer to beat other people up with. And you know, the poor Muslims just like, can we stay out of this? Uh, so I started speaking about Islam in short bursts, you know, 20 minute, 30 minute sessions in Rotary clubs, Kiwanis clubs, libraries, you name it, churches, um, temples, wherever, mosques, um, to help them understand how can you explain Islam quickly and separate it from the crazy stuff that terrorists are supposedly doing in the name of Islam. Like, how do you describe that to people so they can get it? Because there's so many stereotypes out there. So. You know, it wasn't the coexist bumper sticker tour. I'm not out there singing Kumbaya and get people to hold hands. I'm having hard conversations and making people really think about it. And, uh, you know, I have 300 different conversations into this now around the world. It's, it's taught me a lot about where people are on religion and how people see, you know, Islam in particular. But also it taught me a lot about where they're at in their own religion and how they see their own religion playing out. You know, I've done like five week sessions at a Methodist church. I don't know anything about Methodists. I'm a Baptist. We don't even share cemeteries. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm learning about the Methodists and what they think and how they view the world as I'm explaining Islam to them over a five week uh, journey. So that's that's kind of how I came about. Getting but as, a, as, as being raised a Methodist and, and my grandfather uh, sat on the board of directors, I was at Lake Genaleska like every year. And I used, I went as, as a youth, I went to youth annual conference, basically um, being a Methodist, John Asbury, it's, it's basically 
a very watered down light, almost hippie version of Christianity. I feel like in a lot of ways, it's like, you know, we're, we're, we, it's okay to sin, but you must repent, you know, kind of deal. Um, I don't know. There, I, I know I, I'm not a practicing Methodist anymore, but I can, I, my parents are, and I can tell you there's, there's a lot of rift in that in the Methodist church in, right now anyway, but I did want to ask. So when you're going around speaking to these people, what are the, what are some of the top questions you get asked when you're, when you're bringing this material to these audiences? Yeah. So, the, you know, I, and I've got a, a draft book that I need to just hit push on, publish on and get it out there. I, I made a list of 72 questions that I always get asked and the answers I give like one page question, one page answer 72 for the whole myth about the 72 virgins. If you die and, you know, fighting the evil people. Um, the top question, sadly enough, is still, you know, why are all Muslims terrorists or why do Muslims support terrorism? Wow. You know, that link, yeah, that link between terrorism and Islam is so hard to break because people have been, you know, especially in America, have just been in kind of raised on the idea there's a bad guy in a movie. You know, there's a terrorist. He's a Muslim guy. There's a Muslim guy in the TV show. He's probably not trustworthy. You know, they're like that's been beat into the culture. Uh, but then September 11th has left a lot of scars on people and how they see things. And, and a lot of it really is, as I've talked to Muslims and gone around to mosques and uh, Muslim learning centers and spoken with them about it and given them my, my, my brief, they're like, yeah, we don't talk about it that way. You've hit the nail on the head. The way you describe it and how to separate those things, we don't talk about. Like we've failed as the Muslim church, you know, <laughs> we have failed to really explain ourselves we, we just say it's not us or we're a religion of peace go away and they're like we get it that's not the answer that most people need when you're so deeply entrenched into this belief that these two things are so compatible you need more explanation so as as i've worked with a lot of muslim groups that's the one thing they pull away from they're like we need to talk more about our religion what it is and what it isn't and answer the questions that people ask instead of just saying that ain't us you know go bother somebody else which is funny, you know, you'll see that if someone says, well, why isn't the, why isn't the Methodist church condemning the, the KKK rally that's happening in their town? And the Methodists go, that's not us. Well, those KKK yeah. guys are claiming to be Christians. So that's right. you if you don't want to talk about it. Um, so it's, that's sadly enough, uh, so many questions revolve around why is Islam violent? Why is, why did so many terrorists Muslim? Why is Islam that's kind of the big one. Um, the second one is always, what's the different? What, what's the difference between Sunni and Shia? The two big sects of Islam. Like what? What? What makes those different? Um, and then I think probably third place on on the big questions that come up, you know, is why is Islam growing so fast? Um, and and so those are kind of the three big ones that we we always get into in some way, shape, or form in, in the discussion. Um, a question on that. I, I, I got another thought that I'll try to hang on to during this or before. I, anyway, I got another thought I'm going to try to hang on to in the meantime. Um, when it, it, I, I think there's probably some nuance to Islam growing with the notion of more and more people are walking away from religion. Um, and, and so I wonder, are, are you also seeing that within you know, the, the broader Middle East and Islam that younger generations are walking away from it as well. I mean, I know they're a lot, it's a lot more part of how they're raised. 
So you tend to not be able to just separate from it, you know, when you're doing Ramadan and fasting and things. But um, do you also see that within that community? Yeah, that's a point I always bring up when people ask me. I heard Islam's the fastest growing religion. What's going on with that? So I always I just pull out some numbers. I'm like, look, your birth rates are the reason it's not really that, that Muslims are doing better at recruiting or retaining. You know, if we want to use military terms, they're not better recruiters or they're not better at retention. They just have more babies. You know, there's 2.9 babies in every Muslim family. There's 2.2 babies in every non-Muslim family. This is math. Islam is going to grow faster. You so it's just a numbers burst. game. It's a numbers game, you know. No. Uh, and as but, Mac has demonstrated, math is math, and it does not lie. <laughs> uh, but one of the things I always raise to people, and I actually have a slide in my little brief. I'm like, yes, Islam is the fastest growing religion, but I'm I'm not convinced that it's going to overtake Christianity before the non-religious movement of the world overtakes both of them, because it's really the fastest growing. But we don't talk about it because it's not a faith. It's the faithless. And I think it's, you know, we watch those numbers just skyrocket in the last couple of generations, really from Gen X down. You're seeing a lot more people just say, you know what, I'm not getting a whole lot out of this religion thing. And I don't I don't see that it's doing a lot of good. You know, there's a lot of reasons. So I, I truly think that every religion is having troubles with retention and really with recruiting. You know, a lot of kids just are not following their parents into church or they don't stay and there's, it's not for me. And, and they step out. And I've noticed that in, in the Muslim uh, as a religion as well. Although it is, as, as Dave mentioned, it's tougher for Muslims to leave because it's so inculcated in, in their everyday national culture that it's, it's a lot harder to step away. You know, a Catholic might only have to go to church once a year, but a Muslim, they're going to know if you're not there on Friday because everything's shut down and you weren't there. You have nowhere you know? else to be. Where should you have been? Right. You were hiding your house. Uh, um, bef so. Before we dive into the article itself, uh, I wanted to ask because I I don't know personally for you and so uh, for our listeners, I think listening to what you're saying, talking about the religion and the way you do, people will go, oh, well, Jason must be Muslim. And I'd like to know, you said I'm raised Baptist in New England and I moved to the South and, and went to a Baptist church. I'd like to know, are you practicing in faith? And if so, what is that? Because I, I think hearing that anybody that didn't know you would go, he must be Muslim. I will practicing. have to tell you um, the number one question, which I didn't start with is, are you Muslim? And why are you talking about this? Um, <laughs> I get that everywhere from everyone. And after I speak, people write articles about this Muslim white dude who came in and tried to convert people to Islam. And I'm like, wow, like my Baptist upbringing and my generations of Baptist preachers would probably be upset if you thought just because I'm talking about religious freedom uh, that I must be uh, not Baptist anymore. So I'm, I still, I, I'm not a, I haven't been a church going Baptist for a long time, but neither was my grandfather. And he's probably one of the most religious people I knew and just wise in what is the Bible, you know, what's in it. Uh, so I grew up in it. I still, you know, believe that I'm, I am a Baptist and I'm a Christian and believe in that path. Um, but I also am, you know, probably a little more on, on the uh, libertarian side of religion when it comes to Baptists. Uh, I probably wouldn't be as accepted in a, in a Baptist church. Oddly enough, I've never spoken in a Baptist church about Islam, although I've been in a lot of other churches. Uh, was not one I'm usually asked to come speak at because there, there's some very, although it's very bizarre because the Baptists in America were the ones who really pushed our country to not have a state religion and to 
and to respect freedom of religion for all people. That was the Baptist church at the very beginning of our country. They were the ones who said, no, we don't want a state religion. We need to separate church and state and have freedom of religion. That's very much flipped today in, in you know, most attitudes. Was that, um, I don't mean to get too history-ish here, but was that kind of based on the Church of England and Catholicism? Kind of what, you know, borderline theocracy, you know, the king is God, got, you know, declaring that he is the church and so forth? Yeah, I, I definitely think a lot of, you know, so many Protestants were escaping Europe because of the church. And so, you know, that was kind of ingrained in most of them. But that the Baptists just happened to take the lead on it. But I'm sure that most Protestants are right there behind them. Hey, we don't want to have the church follow us here. Yeah. Uh, either of the two big churches in, in so you've you've never been asked to speak in the westboro baptist church about the muslim faith <laughs> I, I have not you know I, this shirt might disqualify me they might get confused just seeing that um like what the hell you get you out know, mountain sunset <laughs> i guess one other you know scene setter type question is it's it's funny to me because literally somebody just said it the other day uh in certain settings you don't talk about politics and religion and i wonder if like like we set ourselves up for that to become a tense topic by virtue of saying we just shouldn't bring it up because, oh, what if they aren't of the same faith? How could we possibly get along in a social setting? You know, <laughs> which, yeah. which I think is ass on and backwards, right? I mean, right. It, I mean, it's that, a perfectly good opportunity for you to share and you to learn and grow and, and vice versa and debate. Yeah, exactly. right. But, yep. but that, that'd be the fear. You start having a decent conversation and it turns ugly, right? Do, do your conversations, Jason, do they turn into debates? And I know you said, I'm willing to have the hard conversation. People are going to have different viewpoints. Do they end up turning into debates or is it just kind of and, I talk, uh, you listen and we're done? It's in, in rare, when I do, I do long classes sometimes, like I've taught this over an eight week session, you know, once a week over eight weeks in a, in a college setting. And those do turn into debates because we're, you know, we have the whiteboard and we're literally, you know, thinking through stuff and I make it more debateful. Um, in my normal settings, I'm there for an hour. I talk for 20 minutes. I take Q&A for 40 minutes. And most people respect the Q&A and we're just doing question and answer. And, and I can have, you know, a drink with them afterwards or have a meal, you know, afterwards and talk more. But most people respect that. Every once in a while, I will get someone who's, you know, like wants to scream or yell or talk other people down or literally get up and walk out, you know, as they've assumed I'm a Muslim and I'm and converting people for, for talking about religion. So it's, it's kind of rare. Oddly, that's kind of good. It is less uh, of a debate and more of a conversation and it doesn't get too heated. I've had people follow me out to my car in the parking lot, even when I have my wife with me, uh, which, you know, they wanted to, to tell me how wrong I am. And, and really, and there were some tense moments for sure. Uh, and now watching, you know, with Salman Rushdie being stabbed in the neck while he was doing just such a talk about freedom. Uh, I, it's something I've always had on my mind because I've never carried a gun into any of these settings. Uh, but I have carried a knife because some of these things can get tense and uh, you just never know. People are crazy. Right. But you go into it thinking we're just having a conversation. There shouldn't be a need to protect myself. I, in light I of just I, having a conversation. Yeah, I say that to myself. but. The, uh, the uh, foreign area officer of me that wandered around alone in a lot of foreign countries always thinks, but I'd rather not die. I want to come home by myself as I walked <laughs> to my car because I wasn't paying attention. Right. Uh, so I, I do kind of I'm watching the room. I'm always scanning the room. And I usually I try to bring a friend with me who can just kind of be there and watch. You can and, use him as a human shield. 
See, that's just smart. <laughs> smart. Right. <laughs> Grinch, sure. what are you doing? Your wife's what are you like, doing wait a minute. His next speaking engagement, Grinch. Now he, he, I know why I got invited. He need, yeah, he needs a battle buddy. <laughs> right. You look like you can take a knife wound. You're okay. Yeah. On that line of question, there was one moment. Uh, I was in uh, Louisville. I had been invited up by a, a, a Muslim uh, interfaith leader in Louisville to speak. And I did three sessions. One at his house with like 60 senior people, like, you know, the the mayor of the city, the, uh, you know, the head of the FBI, all these senior leaders from Kentucky were there. And then we did another one at the, um, so it was a big rotary club function that had 200 people, giant rotary uh, in Louisville. And at the end of it, in Q&A, a young, uh, you know, a young black guy was like, hey, um, you've explained how well you understand Islam. Are you Muslim? I said, no, I'm not. And he said, why not? You understand it. You know the punishment uh, if, if you understand it and don't convert to Islam. And so the room was like, whoa. He, he was a, a Nation of Islam guy. He had just converted. So he's very right, you know, right. exuberant. Young converts always want to convert somebody else. So we had a discussion afterwards. you know. And, and the, one of the mu- older Muslim men came over and was like, if you say things like that, you're not really helping. Right. <laughs> Especially out loud. Like be part of the solution, not the problem. We're not trying to convert people every day. That's right. That shouldn't be our job. With that being said, I would love to jump into the article. I, I read it a couple of times because I was just trying to understand kind of your position and my, my personal takeaway from what you're saying, and you said it at the outset and correct me if I'm wrong, is what's driving younger people away. Because it seems that you focus on really younger generations leaving religion wholesale. And I was looking up a number of stats and they're saying it's between 29 and 30% uh, you know, are not going, are, are not following religion the way their parents did or their grandparents. And, and what you cite is the extremist voice seems to be the loudest megaphone in the room. And so kind of what they're spouting doesn't resonate with younger people. And so they're like, I'm moving away from that. That's not what I believe in. That's not what I want. That is kind of what I took from what you were saying. Is that right or wrong? Yeah, that's that's really the big thesis on that article. And then, as I said, you know, I, I didn't write the article to say and there are also old people being driven away from churches and religion because young people who are super, super woke and think, you know, you're the devil if you don't think like they do are, are kind of dragging it the other direction. So right. I didn't write that in the article, but that's the other half of the puzzle. It's odd. You're seeing young and old being driven away by each other because they can't have conversations about religion because we're told you shouldn't. Right. Uh, so they just kind of get on each other's nerves. And, and I won't speak for anybody else in the room, but I know myself personally, I like social media stepped away from religion a long time ago. And it wasn't that I don't believe it was that there were a lot of questions for me and we go, Oh, well, if you can't answer questions, that's faith, right? Faith is what drives religion. And I go to myself, okay, well, I don't, you know, Aliens, there's no proof that aliens exist, but there are people out there that have faith that they do this huge expanse of space. There must be other intelligent life. And I, I, I think to myself, does, does science then step in? And is that another reason? And it's not to say you're wrong in your article, but is science a factor? And people go, well, we're able to quantify certain things. And then the Bible teaches us something different. And, and I know the two don't match up. And so therefore I have an issue with this. And so I'm stepping away. Yeah, hold on. Before we go any further, I need to I need to speak on something you said. Yeah. Aliens. Okay, yeah. come on. So Neil deGrasse Tyson said it best that we are a carbon-based species, and our universe has been shown to be 
you know, mostly carbon. So to scientifically and logically believe there aren't other carbon-based species in our universe is just asinine. So it's not faith, it's science. But there's no tangible proof, and and that's why people take it on faith that aliens must or do exist. Right, but I mean, again, if you go on the basis of what Neil deGrasse Tyson said, I mean, it's easy to assume or presume, actually, because we have information, right? We have scientifically based information that would say that logically thinking there's a high probability that there's other carbon-based entities in this universe. Right, but everything you just just said was supposedly assumed, presumed, presumed. There was nothing that you said that said... Anybody has actually seen an alien, which well, means me, you have on. to believe it. I mean, faith. we all know. No, 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 but again, I don't, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't right? want to get well, the, the next time, time we get Duke on, we can ask him what's going Hold on. I, I, just, I was chasing the white rabbit. I don't understand what happened. Hold on. So I guess they're up on the aliens. Sorry. Say that again, Jason, because a lot of people have claimed to see God. Well, that's the history of mankind. So maybe we are, you know, maybe God's more real than the aliens, although there's a big alien claiming crowd out there and, and right. probe teams. Yeah. But, but my concern is, and, and my grandmother passed away recently, and I've told you guys this when we have talked, uh, and Jason wasn't privy to this, sitting in the church during her funeral, the pastor of her church was telling me, well, the congregation that was there, but me, grandma is sitting at the right hand of God. And he said it with conviction as if it's true. And of course, I'm going bullshit in my head. I'm like, whatever, you know. So I'm just saying, there are people out there that have no proof of God, but they're going to sit there and tell you, you know, she's sitting at the right hand of God right now, you know. And if you don't believe it, you know, in essence, you're you're kind of wrong. I know they don't say that, but that's how it felt. And it's just like, and it's the same thing for aliens, you know. Tyson, notwithstanding, and and his presumption is people out there believe in things on faith, and it's that word faith that I have a fundamental issue with because. Anything we can't prove suddenly falls into faith if we don't have tangible evidence. And we talked about this way back when on our conspiracy theory thing uh, episode. And so I, I, my concern is for this particular piece in Jason's article is that would you agree or not agree that part of the issue is also science has taken more of a front seat for younger generations to go, okay, dinosaurs 65 million years ago, Adam and Eve, whenever, you know, it's like, wait, that doesn't exactly fit. So how can I believe what the church doctrine is claiming? Yeah, I absolutely believe that's a bigger part. I mean, especially with the push of STEM now for, you know, everybody in school. And it's just been such a shove in that direction to get away from the humanities and the arts to, to, towards science and, and math, you know, to be more logical or, you know, right. to be able to prove it. You got to be able to prove it. Um, and so I, I think that's a big piece of the puzzle. I, I just I was writing the article based on the idea that in the social media era, those loud voices have gotten so much louder, although science has always been there. There's always been that debate between science and religion. Right. I think the extreme voices now have so many megaphones that they can yell through that it's not like the crazy guy standing on the street corner condemning everybody to hell who you know doesn't doesn't follow his particular ways. People are literally killing each other over it. I mean, ISIS was crucifying people and beheading people and burning them alive and drowning them in cages because they thought their religion was the only way to to uh, to get to heaven. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I was reading an article uh, CNBC had put out about that. And they were talking about because you mentioned social media era and they were talking about how pastors and priests and so forth 
were losing in their congregation to younger generations, millennials almost exclusively. And it was, we have to meet these people where they're at. And it has been social media, Facebook, you know, Instagram, Twitter. And it's like, if, if your congregation is disappearing, you go where they're at. And apparently oh. that's where they are. And so that's where these churches are now going to kind of bolster up their congregation and get these younger generations back in. And, and you saw, I think, also the movement away from the traditional church setting, right? A lot of these uh, churches that have, I don't, I don't want to say have sprung up, but th- but you see them now meeting in, you know, rec centers or, you know, old conference halls. The cavalry church in an abandoned you, Walmart. You, you're talking about like the yeah. non-denominational, non-denominational stuff, right? Right. Yeah. Well, so, right. And, and like more relaxed attire. Yeah. You know, right. it's not shirt, coat, shorts, and flip flops. It's, it's not play, playing bongos. It's it's not the classic. Literally, it's not the mass Sunday church. Sunday best. Yeah. You know, yeah. right? Well, uh, and I mean, I guess you know that was going to be, excuse me, a point I was going to touch on, which is, you know, if you said, I mean, I guess part of the problem with those that are probably still steering religion is if you approach them and said, you know, hey, we got a PR problem you know, in essence, we got to figure out how to communicate better. I guess there's two parts to that. Maybe one is you've probably got the dinosaurs that are like rigidly going, the religion is what it is. You get on board or you don't, you know? And, and so then if they're not willing to change the narrative, then, you know, that's one part of the problem. And then another part might be the, well, hold on. How do you change the narrative, right? Because now well, you're, you're talking about was, changing your religion. That was the, you, you can that change the perception, the right? Okay, that was going to be the setup for question two. No, it's, it's it's exactly where I was going, which is so. Then how do you? Because the religion is the religion, right? The book, right? Yeah, you can't the book all of a sudden change. It shouldn't guess change. What? Jesus wasn't born in a manger; he was born at a goodwill. Um, so you know, now, yeah, now and we're going to go based off modernize. Right? I mean, yeah. you know, because it it was what I think kept a lot of people on board was the fear, right? It was the social pressures. Like you said, if you're not seen in the church on Sunday, you, well, not just Sundays, yeah. Wednesdays. Right. Yeah, Wednesday. I mean, if you're, if you're not out in the community, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, Catholic so has, you, has you became a pariah. Yeah. You became a pariah in your own society and that's not really the case anymore. So then you don't have that pressure. So then if you say it's selfish, and it is, I guess, in some ways, if I'm sitting here going, what does it offer me? And that's, uh, that is antithetical to what the religion it, it is supposed you, to be about. It offers you a place in heaven. Well, well but there's all, brotherhood or know. sisterhood, right. you know, community. Yes. There's, a sense of, there's a sense of other or purpose, right? As opposed right. to the, you're going to burn in hell if you don't. That's why. Well, and there's right. a certain amount of fellowship you get from being <laughs> yeah. in, you know, in, in organized religion that I think in, in, in certain parts of society are, are vital and important to that community growing and evolving and being better than. So it's, it's hell's angels without the bike. Right. And right. I mean, it, to some extent, right? I mean, it, that, that is, I think to me, you know, the way I look at it, it, that is one of the key aspects is, is that social aspect of it. 100%. Uh, and they don't beat you in like they do in gangs. I mean, there's an upside there. Look, they don't, don't kick the don't, shit out of you. You don't know you what in, happens. You know, down Although in the Baptist basement. church, man. <laughs> <laughs> they make you juggle snakes. Um, yeah, they jump you. I, I think you're, y'all are touching on a really important point that I've seen um, as I've been working on this is how younger people are getting attracted to religion is not through the extreme voices. It's not through, you know, you have to convince me that science isn't real. It's, it's the community aspect. It's the service aspect. 
because these two generations below us are really big on do something for the world. You know, your activities need to make the world better. How do I serve? You know what? They're always looking for that community service. And so those churches, temples, mosques who are opening up options to, hey, go to Haiti and build schools. Young kids go on these trips. And now they're they're in the church. They're doing service. They're not being they're not going to Haiti to preach about you shouldn't be a homosexual because you're going to get AIDS. They're going to Haiti to build schools that they'll do. And I think that's why I think what Dave, you might have been touching on. How do you change the way what the church does or the temple does or the mosque does? Instead of it just being, come in here, we're going to sit around and condemn all the sinners today, and we're going to walk out feeling good because I'm going to heaven and everybody else is going to hell. Like that doesn't work for the younger generations. Like I don't care to sit around and you know and rag on gay people or rag on these people or I, I, what's that doing for me? Right. Well, Give me the, something. Yeah, I mean the other problem too, though, and we won't go too far down this rabbit hole, but you, you bring up the point. Um, you know, th- these younger generations now they they almost have to do that. Um, if they want to go to school, if you look at, you know, a college application anymore, it's not about, you know, well, what grades did you get? Okay. That's good enough. It's what grades did you get? Well, guess what? So did everybody else. So what else did you do? You know, did you go do, you know, mission trips? Were you, you know, part of these clubs? So I I don't want to say that they're not doing it for, you know, reasons to help the community and and make the world better. But I, I also think to some extent they're doing it because they kind of have to, if they want to move forward in life. Yeah. I mean, on my college well, application, it asked if I did a mission trip and I said, well, I've done missionary. Does that count? Uh, Question. I wasn't sure. Um, sorry. Well, and, uh, and that's a great point, Mac. Is, is it, is it a selfless act or is it a selfless, a selfish act? And, and I'll tell you, one of the things that I love about over here is everyone here has to, has to serve civil service. But, but there, there's, there's like a two year period where you have to serve civil service over here. Um, now they give you an option. If you don't, there's certain benefits you don't get from the government. But if you do, these benefits you get are great. And and what and I'm having talked with several of the people that that live around me that I've met that are from here, um, it greatly uh, there was a great awakening in them when they met other people from the community that they otherwise probably would not have met through the civil service. And I think uh, religion, in a lot of aspects that, that Jason was talking about, when you go out and you do missionary work. Um, that's one of those things that happens uh, inadvertently. I don't think people plan on that. They're going out and doing a good deed because it makes them feel good or because their parents told them to, or because, you know, uh, they didn't have a choice or whatever the reason is. The experiences that you come back with that you weren't anticipating are the ones that I think are the most key valued points that I wish more people got. And, and I'm thankful that these younger generations are getting that. But can't they do that anywhere? Does it have to be through a church? I mean, you can do a... Yeah, but but here's the problem. Well, sure, yeah, you can. Or... You can, but like, what's the catalyst that someone's gonna do that? Like, sometimes people just need that push or that nudge or that or, or that springboard to jump from to get those experiences. Well, and I somebody guess has that's... to organize it. You know, the, the right. rec center doesn't organize it, but a church yeah. has a has an ulterior motive or just a you know a good motive to do good. You know, and so they're they're organizing it, and that makes it easier. It's hard yeah. to go out and organize that on your own. That's true. That's and true. that's why I say, I, I mean, I think, and I, and I believe it's, a, it, it happens. I'm not trying to suggest it's a, it's an all or nothing, but I feel like with the church, it's more about continue to show the good you're doing, why you are important to a society, to the society, you know, not just a gateway to an end that, that, that I won't experience until I'm dead. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to enjoy living in the meantime. And, 
And I don't think that's a, a sin to want to be happy. I think that's right, a good I agree, thing. But, you know but, what I mean? But for some people, happiness comes in the form of the joy that they give to others by the good deeds. Right, they right. And I, I totally agree. I know, Hoss, you've mentioned that when we had our religion debate of it is it is a uh, a means by which to organize good. And I, and I do agree with that, whether it's a soup kitchen, feeding, whatever it is. Um, you know, I, another thought that I've had on my mind is I wonder how much angst there is within the Catholic church, given what the Pope has done over the last several years. Cause I, I mean, I think he sees the reality of we have to be more palatable to the, to the broader society to continue to exist. But I have to imagine there's some diehards within that organization who are just like, that's funny. Any compromise is just unacceptable. A sin and unacceptable. Right. Earlier yeah. when you were talking about touching, you know, getting a new base versus though, I, the, the first thought I had was Vatican city and the debates that must be going on in Vatican city have to be like, I would love to be a fly on the wall. Well, mm -hmm. and again, they cite in this article, the Catholic church, and they're talking about how younger generations look at the doctrine of the church. And they, they look at kind of historically things that have been done where they said older generations will look, and I'll use this in, as an example, like priests being inappropriate, right? And older generations would go, you know, that were kind of staunch Catholic going, I don't agree with that, but I'm still going to follow the religion, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm still almost like I'm ignoring that that's existing because I've been told, you know, I have to kind of follow the doctrine of the church and younger generations are seeing that going, I don't agree with that. I'm walking away, you know? And so by and large, the older generations are, are more accepting well, of that hold, inappropriate hold, behavior record, because it's, and for the record, it's not that I don't agree with, I mean, obviously you agree with, you know, any kind of child molestation, but for me, it's, it, it wouldn't be the connection would be, I don't agree with how the Catholic church handled it, handled that sw swept it under the rug and then went, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. We dealt with it when you didn't right. really deal with nothing. So right. how can we trust Th this is a narrator that I'm supposed to trust to this, to an nth degree with my life. And, and how can I agree with that narrator when you've done these hor horrific things and covered them up and lied about them? And sorry, right. I just wanted that clarification. No, I understand. Not, well, um, yeah, no, I guess I was going to type tie back to the article here though i mean i, I mean obviously the, one of the key points you make in the article jason is there need to be more voices besides the extremists the right they voices. need to be the right voices and and i i mean in your mind is that engaging social media grassroots you know kitchen table conversations social media presence yeah i think a lot of it and I'll bring in the MCU because why not? Um, if you watch Miss <laughs> Marvel, there's this moment where the, the girls are in the segregated women's section of the mosque during service and it sucks. And their, their bathrooms are horrible compared to the men's. And, you know, they are, they're segregated in, in this different area. And these young girls of, you know, this, the new generation, the current you know college age kids are going, this sucks. Why are we sitting back here? And, you know, I can't even hear the dude up there. Like, what is he talking about? Like, so the new voices, I think, are people that don't usually get to speak inside of a religious organization should be speaking. And people who usually do, those elders shouldn't just go, what are you complaining about? Shut up. They should say, wait a minute, I need you in this religious organization in the long term. And I want your kids to come here. So what are we doing wrong in the way we practice religion? I'm not going to change the religion. It is what it is. I can't change the commandments of God, but I can change 
how we act every day towards each other. And as I've spoken with a lot of young Muslim women around the world, that is their big beef. That you know, it's a male-dominated religion where women are second-class citizens. Their rights are not respected. Nobody listens to them. They want to be heard. I mean, I watch women protests in America, and I just chuckle because I focus on the Muslim world, and it's such a night and day. You know, Muslim women are just like, I'd like to be able to speak without you know having my brother kill me for dishonoring my right. family. Wow. That's a different world of like, why well, not? My parents wouldn't let me go out to a party. Yeah, because they're doing ecstasy at the party, so you're not going. Like, <laughs> it's just so different than what people are struggling for uh, in our in the in these two worlds. And I think that's the voice that needs to get out, or those who are always ignored inside a religious organization that are just pushing for logical, better ways to treat each other inside your religion, and not looking to overturn, you know, rip out pages of the holy book. But just say, you know what, you know, maybe we should do this a little different. Maybe we need uh, women to be in Wait. front of the church preaching that module so, and not so, men. Hold on, Jesus. So what you're saying is, is what all religions need is for them to be exactly what they've been practicing and preaching for hundreds or thousands of years. Right. Which is everybody's inclusive and everybody has a voice and everybody's equal. It's a crazy concept. Wow, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Let's I give mean. it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, right. I mean, you know. I'd be hard pressed as a, as a father to go, uh, I'm going to be supportive of somebody going into a devout religious relationship, uh, you know, and particularly if it was like to the extreme of Muslim of Islam of no, you can't drive a car. No, your husband has to allow, you know, say you can leave the country or whatever, you know, those are the, I know those are the, the extremes, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely agree with, you know, I don't, if it were me saying to the church, don't take issue with your tenets in terms of what the greater good is. And if you believe it's truly good, then it should feel good. We should know it's good as opposed to rigidly slapping rulers on hand, you know, for any deviation or free thought. Because, you know, in today's day and age, if you can't withstand even a modicum of critical questioning, is it really that good? If there aren't good answers there, and, and I think those answers have got to get better and connect better. That to me, like coupled with the do good, because I mean, let, let's use the example of, you know, tamping down, uh, you know, Christianity uh, of you see go astray. How many televangelists are out there making millions of dollars just stealing in essence from their followers while they're supposedly speaking in tongues and this other bullshit. And it's allowed to happen. Living yep. in mansions and having multiple jets, jets. mansions. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's no checks and balances. There's no penalties. There's no like nothing. Like there's nothing that can be done about it because there's a separation between church and state, right? And they're a nonprofit organization. But who do you blame more there? Do you blame the televangelists oh. or the people? No, 100% bring the. I mean, well, look, okay. Let me, people are. I mean, these, but the right? point would be if you're protecting and trying to do what's best for your religion, then you call that shit out. Yeah. Right. You call well, it out. Jason, I mean, that, that was one of the things I, I appreciated most about your article was you're like the leaders within this religious sect not stepping up to the, to the plate and, you know, chastising and admonishing the, the bad behaviors of the extremists. That's one of the biggest problems, right? Yeah, I, I truly believe that. And I've told I've sat down with some very senior religious leaders. I had a, a three hour lunch with the husband and wife duo of. Islamic Society of North America. They built 
most of the mosques in America. And he was just getting ready to retire. We had a long three and a half hour lunch eating Persian food. And I mean, I was just like, look, if you're not calling it out, if you won't call out the bad behavior, you're dooming your own religion. Is that not the worst sin you could do? Is you're letting the bad people drive the good away from your religion. You're dooming all those people to hell that you want to bring in because you're letting bad actors represent your religion. Even if you believe they've left your religion by doing what they do, they're still there and they still are claiming that they are religious and they are recruiting young people into their death cults, you know, whether it's white supremacy or religious supremacy, like there are death cults that use religion as their, their reason for being. And if you don't do anything about it, I think you, I think God would punish those leaders more be like, wait a minute, you saw this happening and you didn't say anything right. and you let your, our, our church or our UMA fall apart. Why, why, why do you think that is, Jason? Why, why do you think these religious leaders aren't willing to go to bat like they should? It is hard in their minds. It's work. It's easy to go out every day and do what you've been doing and assume that the system's just going to keep bringing in new recruits and you're going to keep, you know, they're going to stay with it their whole life. Like that's been the system. But the system is, is broken now. And, and these younger generations are proving how broken it is. You know, they're not falling into political ideologies the same way. They're not falling into religion. They're not falling into cultural beliefs. You know, they don't even know what gender they are anymore. I mean, this is you're dealing with people who need to have some good evidence based reasons to stay with your your belief system. And I, I think it, they just see it as is hard work. Some of them are so old, they don't care. They're like, mm. I, what am I going to do? I don't even I don't even know what what's TikTok. You know, how do I yeah. even touch those those people? You turn to the younger touch, generation but, you know. that are trying to have a conversation with you and you open that dialogue and you allow them to take up the mantle. Yep. Agreed. So that you well, don't have to because they have a different understanding. Yeah, of, of course. And they don't want to have that debate because they're going to lose the power and it goes down to the next generation. I mean, look at the baby boomers that won't leave the presidential races. Right. Mm-hmm. How many or, or government at all period. have? Right. Well, I right. Mean, yeah, I mean, they, they don't want to go because they don't want to hand off power and lose what they've got. Yeah, I was going to say something very similar, which is you're going to have a hard time convincing me your your beliefs are based in altruism when you're going to mandate how a woman has has to has to decide on, you know, whether or not to carry a, a baby to term or not, or you're going to dictate things in the home. That's control. That's not best interest. And if it's in best interest, then there needs to be a narrative that goes with that. But the, I mean, I don't mean to make this entirely about or shift this to politics, but that's the primary voice that's out there. There's nobody countering that in moderation to go, if we truly cared for our fellow man, man, woman, child, then we need to find a way to bring the most impossible because we, we truly believe this is the path. Right. Well, uh, you say that about politics. We made the, or I know the, well, the connection got made. aside, right? No, no, yeah. I'm just saying, but the connection got made on our hundredth episode when Jason teased out this article was because he talked about extremist voices in the church. And I said, it's in politics as well. It tends to, and I don't understand why the extreme voice tends to be the dominant voice in any movement right now, it is in politics. Clearly, Jason is is expressing that it is in religion. And the problem in both of those areas is not only does it drive younger people away, it's bringing in people you don't fucking want. I, I think mm-hmm. because it's it's usually the loudest voice. It, but, it's the one. It's it's the one 
as you can attest to living in Florida, <laughs> gets the most media airplay. Right. Because that's what, you know, it, that's what brings in ratings on TV, right or wrong. Well, and, well, it's and it's nominated, right? right? Yeah. Well, and it's social media too. I mean, the algorithms on social media are designed to, they want the most hits. They, so if you've got a crazy idea, you're going to keep popping up. You know, when I talk about religion on social media, it gets pushed down in the algorithms. I mean, yeah. I've tested this stuff. Like Facebook, especially, will just drive it down. Oh, we don't talk about religion. So drive that one down. Nobody will even see it. I have to tag somebody if I want them to see it. They'll just drag it out of my, my timeline because it's not controversial enough. I'm not, I'm not screaming to, you know, vote for this guy or, you know. No shame. Now, I know you speak on, it sounds like almost exclusively the Muslim faith. And would you, in your opinion or expertise, say in terms of the social media era and that megaphone, was September 11th just horrible fucking timing for the Muslim faith as a whole because that occurred, it got pinned on Muslims. And then of course, social media era was just, you know, getting started and, you know, extremists in any religion, of course, they just immediately grabbed that megaphone. They were at least intelligent enough to realize we need to, like I said about the article, we need to meet our people where they are. So they immediately gravitated towards social media and said, let's pick up that megaphone and we can get people in the door. To, to view things the way we are, the way we do. I mean, it's just one of those things. Like, did did the Muslim religion just get, like, that, that horrible timing, get a bad rap, and now they're wrestling. And as you said at the outset, your elders, the people that are more centrist, they don't put up a fight. They go, oh, that's not us, as opposed to standing up and going, you know, here's what our religion is. Here's the doctrines that we believe, peace, love, unity, whatever it may be. And work to push out that element yeah there was a question there sorry i think you're absolutely i'll just take your point of the question that you're absolutely right it was just the most horrendous of timing you know islam is is younger than christianity it's 600 years younger so it's still you know moving through its path the arc of religion it's it's a younger religion and that happened and then social media on top of september 11th was just you know the worst of all things and then who jumped on social media first were Al-Qaeda and ISIS and all these terrorist groups that were like, this is a great tool. I can recruit more terrorists because no one else is on it talking about anything else. So I can I can say Islam is whatever I want it to be. And I mean, I studied that a lot, looking at terrorist groups and how they use social media. And I was pushing America really hard to change how we use social media as a U.S. government to counter it because we were on our butts. We just gave up. We said, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do there. And we just let them own that space. And they, they ran with it. You they know? And, that and back it's, uh, yeah. it's now I mean, people trying to come back and now you're, you're reacting. You're not the right. Driver. You're playing catch up, right? Well, you're it, catching it, up. And you're I mean, not I'll, catching use, up. I'll use the term barbarism, but you know, the, the barbaric days of the church were pre-social media. I mean, imagine social media with like the Salem witch trials, <laughs> the Spanish yeah. inquisition, oh, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like, Shit. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> talk about horrors. And you look at what ISIS did. I, I, the Spanish Inquisition was was horrific. Right. McCarthyism. <laughs> I mean, some of the torture tools that were developed then, like it, to do that to another human being it, is just unconscionable. Yeah. 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 And we were afraid. And we found, you know, Saddam's torture chambers where they were doing those things to to other Muslims, you know, 
really sick, you know, more communist Saddamists, you know, doing this to Muslims. And we were afraid to even talk about it instead of saying, this is wrong. Instead of, you know, having Muslim clerics go, this is evil, this is wrong. You know, they were doing this to Muslims. These people are the enemy, these terrorists who would torture people like this. It's not a, a, a Christianity versus Islam thing. It's barbar, barbaric people versus human rights. That's the real, you know, rub. Well, you know, and, and I think we're it's afraid worth, to even talk about it. It's it's an important point as well to say, you know, when we talk about, uh, I know we're focused on Islam right now, but when you focus on Muslims, the biggest voices are in the greater Middle East, and they, you know, we we use this term in the past, the pain threshold. There is no pain threshold for them to change how they speak yet, whether it is in Iran or even like Al-Sadr, you know, or anywhere in the Middle East, because they're probably still that they are, you know, our baby boomers, right? Like they're in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and they've been in that position for as long as they've lived, you know, or in like probably positions of power. And it's not in their interest to suddenly start speaking bad (laughs) or to go, hey, guys. I've had some thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I, know, I know I've been very rigid for 30 years, 40 years, 60 years, but maybe, maybe we should just, you know, think about how we message to a different generation. Yeah. So I think I'm curious. Of, oh, oh, no, 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 you. I was just going to say, you know, part of the reason you kind of started with that, you know, I, I usually talk about Islam, but the reason I do that is because I, I truly think the best person to explain a religion to somebody is not somebody of that religion. I think if you want to make faiths get along better, I think Muslims should be sitting in mosques explaining Judaism to to Muslims. You know, you should get a Muslim who understands Judaism to explain it to Muslims. You should get, you know, a a Christian to explain. uh, I I just think that's that's the way it should be. There's it's going to give you the best opportunity to to get people to believe what you're saying, or even listen, because if you do it the other way around, it just sounds like you're defending your religion. Mm-hmm. I don't wander around explaining why Christianity is not what you think it is. You know, I'm trying to get rid of Christian stereotypes because I'm Christian. So why would they believe me? But that's what we've always assumed. A Muslim needs to go talk to them about Islam. I've seen that before. I've watched Muslims talk to a church and seen the questions and seen the disbelief. And I've, that's the week after I was there explaining the same thing. And everybody believed me and asked good questions and we have got really honest debate. Um, so I, I truly, that's why I talk about Islam. I, I think that's the mission. I tell Muslims that when they come to me, I'm like, you don't need to explain Islam. Go explain Judaism in the mosque. Do that. You'll show to me that you care about getting faiths to connect with each other. Jews, I want you to go explain why Christianity is what it is and, and you know, get rid of the stereotypes in the temple. People, but it's a lot hard. of a lot of religions don't want to step outside of their own religion. Uh, I have family members that are Jehovah's Witness, God rest their soul. Um, and they they want they want nothing to do with other religions. They yeah. don't they don't want to be convinced, spoken to, they won't step into another church. Uh, and they are such staunch believers in things like that that it's like, are you so worried about your own faith that stepping inside another church? you're concerned about? Like, I, I don't get that. Like, is your, is your religious base so fragile that you can't step inside another church or have a conversation about another religion? And it's yeah. just like, you, you know, I a thousand percent agree with that point. Yeah. Well, what just, are you afraid of? 
Right. If yeah. you are firm in your conviction, then that is a relationship between you and your God. Right. <laughs> it shouldn't matter who you interact with in the meantime, in the sense of like your day to day or having a conversation. Why would that interfere with your path to the afterlife? I've never understood that. That's a conversation I have. Usually at the end of every talk, people are like, well, if you haven't become Muslim, have you become a better Christian or less of a Christian? And I said, I I couldn't be any stronger in my faith today than having to learn about other people's faiths and learn from other religious groups as I'm sitting and, you know, talking about religion. It only is going to strengthen your belief if you truly believe. And it's going to make you want to fix things, you know. But if you if you're afraid to do it, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid to talk about it? It's it's weird because when you said that, all I thought was it doesn't matter if it makes you a better Christian, does it not by default make you a better human being? And that's really because you're gonna take your own perspective into any situation. And just being a good human being doesn't rely on a religion or a political yeah. affiliation or any of that shit. You know, and, and I think that's the problem with a lot of people, and I'm guilty to to some degree, is I don't know a lot about religions and that's my own failing. And I think having that knowledge or that education would probably make me a better human being in terms of understanding their approach to things, understanding how they view the world. Haas and I, we, we talked about this yesterday. We were talking about problems, people's problems. And he was making a comment about problems. And then I think at the end of the conversation, Haas, you're like, yeah, but you know, those are so trivial when you consider what's going on in the world. And it's like, Yes, but those are your problems. And for you, they are monumental, even though they're not as bad as what other people have to deal with. And it, But knowing what other people have to deal with informs the way you approach the world, the way you view things, because you have an understanding about how they do it. Uh, and I'm curious, what was the antithesis for writing this article? Like, what did you see? What had you been learning or, or what had you been reading that that caused you to go, the extremist voice X, Y, Z, and, and it's causing a problem. And so I, I need to kind of understand why this is like, what was the antithesis of you writing this article to begin with? I think it was constantly hearing, you know, I haven't worked on Afghanistan since 2002. I have been struggling with the extremist voices um, in, in that country, in that part of the world that whole time. And then in me speaking about religion, I would, you know, having extremists get mad at me or follow me in my car and, you know, um, listening to people's conversations, side conversations when they don't know I'm hearing them. I just said, man, you guys are missing it. I wish you'd go out and do what I'm doing so you could hear all of this and realize how dangerous it is to the idea of faith. Uh, I just didn't, I don't think God would be happy with what so many people are doing, either not doing anything to fix the problems or egging it on, you know, there, I'll either sit on the sidelines or I'll, I'm going to make it worse. I'm just going to just keep yelling to make people hate other religions. Um, that was really it for me. I, we need to have that conversation. It's so hard to, you'd be surprised how hard it is to have these conversations, to get on somebody's calendar, to give a talk about Islam. You'd think that might be an easy thing to do. I don't have a press agent. I don't have anybody that works for me at public speaking, you know, corporation. I set these up myself. I mean, it's nine rejection letters over every acceptance to go speak somewhere. People don't want to talk about religion and they are so worried about what might happen if we talk about religion. <laughs> and the craziest part is it's mostly very, you know, left wing organizations in America that don't want to talk about religion. I don't know if that's just because it's me. 
uh, or they don't want to talk about religion, period. But those are the ones that give me the fastest. Are you kidding me? Like trying to speak on a college campus, they lose their minds. Oh, you know, I'll talk to an interfaith group that's there. It's so fun to watch religious people that I talk with who are trying to make things better. I'll say, you find me a speaking gig, you know, I'll find a way to get there. And then they'll come back two months later. I tried to get you in at our college, but they don't want to talk about it. And then they just scratch their head and go, why doesn't anybody want to talk about this? You know, because it's hard. You know, this is people are uncomfortable. So we're kind of stuck. I just we really need to have more of a discussion. And I was hoping that would get some of that discussion going. Has it panned out the way you'd hoped? And and doing these talks and, you know, trying to facilitate a conversation, has it panned out the way you'd hoped? I, I think it has. You know, if someone once told me if, if you change, if you help one person in life, you've you've done better than if you help none. You know, you're a success if you've just changed one person's life. And at every talk, I have one person at least come up to me and say, you completely changed my mind. I didn't understand how similar our religions were. I'd never met a Muslim person. I thought I hated them all, you know, after September 11th. And so, I mean, that's repetitive. And I'll have people write me emails later on and, you know, want to have deep conversations, go to lunch, talk about it. Like it has changed people's views. And, you know, and I, I was, I assume it's it's just a, a pebble in a lake, you know, and there's ripples that are going out. If you change one view, as, as I've seen that, I've had people reach out to me third and fourth hand, like you spoke here and somebody told me there and someone, and I want you to come speak here. So it does make a difference in some places. It's just hard to get the rock in the damn lake. You yeah, know, people but once don't you do, want, there's somebody at <laughs> the lakeside just swatting the rocks back. Like, yeah, chase oh, tennis rackets, just knocking them back. It, it sounds like once you do, it, it, there's an, a, an amazing amount of hope that's out there. People want to have hope. People want to be better than, right? People don't want to be jerks. People don't want to be assholes. Uh, I just don't need, think that's sometimes. Uh, look, I'm not saying, <laughs> listen, I'm not saying there aren't caveats. I'm not saying there's not a fringe. I mean, there's always a fringe, right? But I think generally speaking, I mean, I think people want to do right and people want to be good and people want to help and be kind. And sometimes they just need a reason. Sometimes they just need to know that it is the right path that they're on. And it sounds like what you're doing is just amazing. And, I, and I'm, I'm thankful and appreciative that it's, you're fighting the good fight for it. Hell yeah. It's interesting because when you were on our um, back at the beginning of season two, actually, I believe you were the first guest for season two when we did the Afghanistan uh, debate after we had pulled out. I think you said in that debate you're never going to know the impact of what happens now, right? It's going to take time. We've got to get away from it to see, okay, how does all this ultimately play out Speaking down the road, which yes. we, we need to do a follow-up. It's been a year. We, it has. I, I think it behooves us to do a follow-up by the way. Uh, Sorry. Sidebar. What, what do you ultimately hope when looking back, let's say in turn, and I won't necessarily say your legacy, maybe that's how you view it or not, but you know, when we get some distance from this conversation and you go, okay, I, you know, I'm do, I've done these speaking engagements. I've done the circuit. I've put out articles. Like what is your hope ultimately that younger generations suppress the extremist voice? They move back to like, what are you hoping in doing this is the outcome for you or, or for religion as a whole? I think, Probably a couple of things. One, that people are more free to talk about religion and, and just feel like it's okay to have civil debates about something that's so deeply held that that's okay. And, and, if, and it'll be beneficial and it'll make you stronger in your faith if you have faith. You know. And then the second one, yeah, definitely. I hope this makes an impact on younger generations 
to say we won't we don't want to fall into the trap of those people who are so extreme that we're breaking our religion and causing you know mass humanitarian crisis sometimes by doing so uh, we don't want to go that way we want to go the other way and i've seen that already i've had young people reach out to me um i was speaking at a group once uh in um, dc all uh college graduates getting ready to go in the government probably 60 of them in the room and i gave my it was a two-hour discussion on islam and and uh, groups like al-qaeda and isis and what's the differences and I finished up, you know, got to the Q&A and this young lady in the front uh, with blonde hair that was down and a, and a short skirt, you know, typical young kid today said, you know, I really appreciate you saying that I'm Muslim. And if I were to say what you just said, I would have problems in my in my mosque. People would be, you know, so she's very she's not typically dressed. She's not wearing hijab. She was just like, I can't speak like that about my own religion. That's how messed up things are. What you said is factually true. What you said makes sense. What you said we should be talking about. But right now, I'm not allowed to say it in my own religion, in my own home. I can't have that conversation. And that's how sad things are. And I, you know, you've definitely seen that in every religion. That's just, I just talk about Islam. So I'm, I'm dealing with Muslims mostly when I have those honest conversations. But I hope that just kind of keeps rippling out there that young people realize you can stand up and talk about it. Hopefully, you know, you won't get killed um, by anybody for doing so, although that's still happening. I'm glad you said that because you have up until now, it has been, you know, I've talked with church elders. I've talked with the founders of this. And, and it's nice to hear you say, I've also talked with the younger generation, you know, that they are at least engaging you because obviously the older ones are, are going to have a certain perspective. It's nice to know that younger generation are also coming up to you and going, hey, let's have a conversation. Uh, you know, I agree or disagree with the things that you're saying, you know, that type of thing. It's nice that you do have that perspective and it's not, it's not all, Hey, I only talk to church elders or they're the only ones that ever come to me and talk, you know, knowing that the younger generation is also engaging you is, is gotta be beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. I had a, a young uh, guy grew up, he was from Bangladesh originally, and he grew up in Oklahoma as he was a child on September 11th. Um, and he was telling me what it was like living in Oklahoma you know, after September 11th. But afterwards, he's like, hey, can I talk to you? And, and we went and had lunch after this talk. And he's like, man, what you're doing is important. Like, it's powerful. Like, you impacted my, I ended up helping him get his next job. And I just heard from him the other day, you know, and he's, he was just like, wow. He came on my podcast later. And it's like, I didn't expect that. Like, why were you doing this? But it was the right thing to do. So that kind of feedback from young people just kind of motivates me to say, look, it has to be done. And I push older people. I push, you know, leaders of all religious organizations that I talk to. You need to do what I'm doing. I'm not getting paid for this. I don't make any money from this. I've lost thousands of dollars. I haven't had a real job where I, I could have been banking away money because I do this. I wander around and do this kind of stuff like some kind of crazy nomad. But <laughs> I, I think people who are getting paid by religious organizations ought to be doing this because this is part of their job. Yep. If you're not doing it, I'm not sure that God's going to be happy when you get to heaven. It's mm -hmm. weird on the outside looking in because you're not getting paid. You're not, you don't, you don't practice Islam as a faith, right? And yet you're trying to help move the agenda forward. And as you, you know, you said the elders in the, in the church, they aren't, it's too much work. Well, why the fuck is, no offense. Why is a white guy who's not Islamic trying to help and you're not helping yourself? Like, why wouldn't they look at it and go, well, oh, shit, man. if he's Ooh, doing why it, why are we not doing it? Yeah, yeah. You'd think there'd be enough motivation. You'd think so. 
And it's a surprise that it's not. It is. I On uh, the last Christmas, I was invited on Christmas Sunday to go to a mosque and explain my Islam talk to a mixed gender audience in a mosque in, in Raleigh. And so I drove up on Christmas Day past 300 churches on the way to Raleigh from my house. I mean, just littered with little churches. Christmas Sunday, almost every churchyard was empty. I was like, wow, these churches are not bringing many people. And I get to the mosque and there's 85 people at standing room only to hear me talk about how I explain Islam to Christians, you know, and Jews. And it was, so, it was just so surreal. But he got it. You know, that that Muslim leader, he had just come down from D.C. and now he's working in the North Carolina area. And that imam got it. You know, he's like, I need to do more of this. I'm going to use your Quran when I go to prisons and make prison visits. Yours is a better version of the Quran. I want to hand that out to people uh, instead of the other versions, which can be more, you know, dangerous. <laughs> Let's just say if they're, they're from the wrong printing press. But then I said, well, you talk to the other Muslim leaders in the area and we'll get together and figure out how we can make this bigger. You know, that was Christmas. We're still trying to get all the other religious leaders to care because it's not in their job description to make things a little more peaceful. It's just, I don't know, it's getting people in the seats and up to heaven. I don't know what the true <laughs> job description is there for preacher, but I would think getting your community to not hate each other might be useful too. Yeah, agreed. From, from your lips to God's ears, as they say. Here you are, not tied to the religion, but in some cases, as you said, putting your life at risk to have these conversations. And, and again, all, I think ultimately all you're asking is just a little effort on your part, you know, as, as members of the church, just do a little, you know, and let, let's get that ball rolling. And then once it picks up speed, let it kind of do its own thing. Um, yep. I spoke with a, uh, one of my churches I was working at had a, they all, all the people that were there, there were three or four different religious leaders in that church and they'd all gone through Duke divinity school. And I said, well, why don't I go up to Duke? This should be a 30 minute or one hour lecture to every student that's coming through Duke divinity school. We should be having these discussions about other faiths. That was three years ago. Duke is still not interested in having anybody talk about this because that sounds like extra work, man. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. It's like, no shit. Yeah, I'm doing but it. But it's important work, right? I mean, getting outside of comfort zones and, and, and cross understanding other things helps a better sense of everyone's community. Why, why yes. can no one freaking see that? Because that's the way the world works. We like to stay Good in our question. little boxes. It's not, it's not rocket science or <clears throat> aliens. Oh, fuck. <laughs> aliens, really? Or aliens and rockets. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Canal. You know what? At the end of the day, Jason, we appreciate you being here. You've been here a number of times. This is no different. Although I did notice we are setting a precedent. You were on the third episode of season two. This is the third episode of season three. It sounds like we've created something that we're yeah but season I, don't, four. I don't i don't think we should wait an entire season to have Jason oh no 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 i'm not saying we wait i'm <laughs> saying he needs to be on season episode three of season four when we get there he can be on there okay. plenty between now and then yeah. but the third episode of every season needs to be the jason Hauk episode okay yeah I'm because we've that. we've now set that precedent that's just, the, the church elders here say yeah, right. you're gonna have to do the third episode <laughs> and all the brothers and sisters said it. amen it's the holy trinity the third yeah. Episodes. <laughs> oh, it uh, actually is there. Yeah. Wow. That's that's pretty so, funny. Uh awkward connection. Uh Jason, we appreciate you being here. I really enjoyed the article. I actually kind of farmed it out I to my so. parents and I asked them, uh, the gentlemen here know my father. I'm sorry that they know my father, but they do. And <laughs> no, uh, he's, he's quite opinionated. Guy. He's a character. 
and so I did farm it out to my parents and said, Hey, I want you to read this article. And so they did, and, and they provided feedback, which we will not discuss here. Um, no, no, uh, my, you know, they did appreciate the article. My dad, of course, being, you know, my dad, this, I'll tell you what he had to say, because you said, Oh, it's a tough conversation. And he said, read the article. It is in my opinion that like many other religious individuals, his focus on interfaith rivalries misses the real problem entirely. These rivalries have been with us a long, long time, and in the past had the effect of strengthening beliefs, not weakening them. Consider the impact of the Crusades on both European Christianity and Islam. The real problem, as I see it, is the lack of relevance of religion to a world where the mysteries that religion used to have answers for has steadily shrunk to the point where the gaps are becoming almost invisible. Welcome to the last 30 plus years of our life, Jason. <laughs> exactly fucking right. I know um, that's a problem, but it's an old problem. So we're not going to deal with that. Here's right. another problem. Exactly. <laughs> and again, as you said at the outset, your position for this article was very narrow in terms of the extremist approach to religion. Uh, and, and of course, you know, he may have read it and he's looking at the whole scope oh, where you I, were not doing that. I, I mean, the only thing I'll just say in response to that is I, I I'm, I'm not saying right, wrong, or otherwise. I think, I think there's a greater, there's a bigger discussion to that because when you perceive an enemy that is the monolithic enemy, it does unify. And I'll use the example of the Soviet union, you know, patriotism was probably at an all time high because we had an enemy. Now it's very dispersed. It's more complicated. And therefore our, our nationalism has turned inward as opposed to focused outward. And I think it's similar. I mean, yeah, there's, there's some biblical and, you know, Quran based reasons why the crusades happened in terms of what they wanted to own and how it tied to the faith. And of course, society was in a very different place. You know, you had right. low literacy rates, you know, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But yeah, there's a lot to unpack in what he said. Yeah. And again, don't take it personally. You can say, Hey, tell your dad to go fuck himself. I will. I do it all the time. I love my dad, but he can go fuck himself. Uh, dad, I know you're going to be listening. So you heard it here first. Go fuck yourself. Uh, he is, he is quite, an, he is a well, he is a, a, a very learned individual. He is well-read. He has his opinions. Don't always agree with him. And he oh, knows what, that. When is he coming on? <laughs> uh, between now and fucking never, ever, ever. Yeah. He's I asked mean, and I'm like, no, it's never happened. If he does, I'm just going to be on mute oh, with my popcorn he, and my Coca-Cola. No. Oh, shit. And he'll be Odin. Oh, Odin, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh, that's going to opinionated, opinionated Odin. Yeah. Since he's fat Thor, he'll be opinionated Odin. Hey, exactly. we had Loki on. Yeah, we did. We did. Uh, but Jason, I did appreciate yeah. the article. It was a good read. It was an interesting perspective that you have. And I appreciate you being willing to come on here and have the conversation. I hope that we didn't bastardize it or play it down in any way. I know, again, we tend to make jokes about some things, but uh, I didn't change the impact of your article or your approach to having these religious conversations, the conversations that need to be had. Well, it's a valid so, point and an important point to be, yes. to, you know, to, to bring attention to. Absolutely. And it's probably not happening enough. Agreed. So, uh, so thank, thank you, you again for sharing a drink with us, coming yeah, on the show yet on. again. Thank you very much. And we will definitely have you back very soon if you are agreeable. And, and yes. Hey, Jason, could you remind our listeners too of your podcast and where they can find it? Uh, that one, the uh, so I'm not doing it actively, but I still keep it online when I teach Islam courses. Uh, it's called We're Just Talking About It. So we're just talking about it. WJTA, if you want to hashtag it, it's probably hanging out out there. Um, and it's available. I did it through uh, 
lip sign or something, but you can find it on any Apple podcast okay. uh, you know, button on your phone. It's in there. Uh, and it's, it's a little bit of Islam 101. And then I bring on Muslim guests uh, from around the world to explain Islam from their point of view. Um, okay. So it's a Baptist, a Catholic and a Muslim sitting around podcast mics. And in terms cool. of our website, would you be okay with me linking your article on our website so people can go and read it if they would like to? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, then sure. I will absolutely do that. Uh, you know what? As always, ladies and gentlemen, this has been our show. It has been wonderful having Jason here in the studio. Thank you so much. Uh, if you'd like to check out all of our episodes, you can go to aspirateddebate.com. I will link the article that Jason wrote there. Feel free to read it. You can drop us a line. And if you know if he's okay with it, I'll put you in touch with him if you think you want to have a conversation about religion. Um, but you can go there, check out all the drinks that we have uh, any of the episodes are in the vault. Feel free to listen to them. Uh, if that's not enough, you can go to the four horsemen at a spiriteddebate.com. Drop us a line, drink you'd like us to try, topic you'd like us to debate, or just ask us a question. Uh, if you have a question for Jason, drop it there. We will get that question to Jason and let him answer it. Don't ask anything about, uh, you know, is he, you know, studying the Islamic faith or is he practicing? You Hopefully you listen to this episode, you know. Um, but, you know, if you have a question for him or his article, just drop it there and we will make sure that he gets it. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys doing this. Love you all. And we will do this again real soon. information or opinions expressed during the Aspirited Debate podcast series or any affiliated podcast are solely those of the hosts or guests involved and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the host or guest may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. While guests are invited to listen, listeners acknowledge that they are not being provided professional advice from the podcast or its guests. The content within the parameters of Aspirited Debate podcast series or any affiliated podcast are for entertainment and educational purposes only. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.